welcome to the Balanced Body Podcast. I am Ashley Mazurik, and today we have a special guest, not just me talking, not me talking at you. We have someone else that can talk and share and we can learn from. And today she's a special guest because we're going to talk about something that is very vulnerable. And I only pick people that I know that will be honest and open and are genuinely great people that have stories that we can all learn and grow from. And so today we are honored by having the guest, Kirsty Pratt. Welcome. Thank you, man. That's quite the introduction. <laughs> I am, uh, <laughs> I'm excited to be here and uh, excited to share with you. And I hope that some people can resonate and relate and Anytime my story can help inspire other people to help inspire others, I'm always honored to be able to speak. Well, you know, I think this is a time in our life where we genuinely need to hear stories about people who have, have risen from the depths of despair and have uh, come through the rite of passage on the other side better. and. I think stories like that, that's what I, like I said to you before, this podcast is about stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I'm never the one to like stay on point with one thing because I have this ADHD in me. <laughs> uh, my topics will range all over the place, which I think that's the fun aspect. I, I hope other people see it as fun. Um, but first I have to ask, as I was kind of preparing myself for today, do Tell me where Kirsty comes from. Now, y'all, it's not Christy, it's Kirsty. <laughs> you know, that's such a good question. Is my parents actually got it from the actress? They heard it, Kirsty Alley, and they really liked the name and they ended up sticking with it. I think I was actually supposed to be named Sarah. <laughs> and I was named Sarah for like two days and then they didn't like it and they switched it. And actually, some family members came in and they're like, How's Sarah going? And they're like, Actually, it's Kirsty, And it wasn't actually until I think a couple years ago when I started doing the self-work where I looked up what Kirsty meant. And it meant what I found on the internet is it came into really tapping into your feminine, which is very interesting because when I started tapping into my feminine energy is when my world started to change. So it's kind of like when I stepped into who Kirsty is, my world started to change. That's so interesting. And I, that makes me, I'm sure that makes everyone go, okay, I gotta go look up my name. <laughs> I, I have, um, I love different names and uh, it, it's interesting that I say that because my, I, I love my name, uh, but when I was born, my name was my middle name uh, because my grandmother did not like my first name. She liked my middle mm. name, but I, but because I was unrelentlessly tortured in school by my middle name, mm. which is Paige, oh. I got into middle school and begged my mom to change it to my first name, which was mm. Ashley, so that it was less uh, mm. of an item to be able to be teased. So which, you know, it, whatever. But now that thy name is, is fairly popular. Um, I, I do, I, I love, <laughs> I love different names. Love, love, love them. 
Mm. Uh, so yeah, thank you for that. One of the reasons I brought Kirsty on here, uh, folks, was because as I was interviewed by her in her podcast, her podcast, which she will share, uh, she, I, I decided to listen to her podcast that she had done. She just started it. And um, she had about four, I think, that I listened to. And in the midst of the podcast, I kept hearing about her story and her journey. And not I, all the podcasts were amazing. I learned a lot of great things. So I welcome you to enjoy those. But her story was what I really wanted to know. And so I decided, like, if I'm wondering it, I'm sure everyone else wonders it. So <laughs> why don't I have her on? my podcast and find out what, just because I'm so nosy, what <laughs> is it about her journey and fill in the pieces and parts. Uh, one thing I do know about Kirsty because she did take one of my chat classes and was a student was first thing that I recognized, which is interesting when you just said your stories. Well, first thing I recognized was Yang energy. I thought, her and I are going to get along because I have a lot of <laughs> energy in me and I loved that about you. Uh, I, I, what I also loved about you was my perception of your courage and mm -hmm. brave and toughness. Love, love, love that. And also that you were an athlete. So talk mm -hmm. about your athleticism and I'm going to, and I don't know the full story, but you're a ninja or you were a ninja competitor. Something yeah. <laughs> Please tell us. Yeah, absolutely. So I started when I was 21, I pivoted my whole life. I found American Ninja Warrior, which comes from Sasuke, which is still Japan's style of Ninja Warrior. And anyone who hasn't seen Ninja Warrior, it's this intense obstacle based competitive sport where it's a lot of some agility but mainly it's burning your biceps your triceps your forearms and how you can throw your body in these different areas and it usually ends with a 14 and a half foot warped wall that you run up and so i found it when i was 21 and i you had it right super competitive and super living out of my ego at that time and i was watching it on tv and i go Psh, I can do that, I can do that, and I can do that. And I went to a local gym, which was very rare at that time to have obstacle training gyms. I got very humbled, couldn't do anything, but I fell in love with the sport. I fell in love with the sport. I couldn't do a pull-up, like literally the only thing that I accomplished was the quintuple steps where you like go three steps on each one and you jump back and forth. And from there, it became this like, mindset of like, I want that. I want to do that. Females were just pushing the way for it. And I'm like, I can be one of those females leading the edge to say, Hey, we're just as strong and we're strong in our own way, but we deserve to be here. And so I took that ride and that roller coaster for about five years. It was amazing. I traveled all over America for it. We, me and my partner at the time, there was one competition where <laughs> It was the Texas State Fair, and I'm up in Missouri. We got in the car Friday, drove 12 hours down, slept for about six. I competed. We got back in the car 
drove back home and we ended up winning. I, my team ended up winning first for that competition. And so we went all over America and it was really what started my journey in discovering myself because I rose to the top and at one point was about the top female for about two years in the sport. I've competed on the show season seven, eight, and nine, and then team Ninja Warriors season two and three, which I remain undefeated on. And it, it's a huge part of my story and discovering myself and all those aspects. So were you an athlete before? Yes, but I was an athlete. I played golf and I played uh, some soccer. <laughs> so all lower body. It was, it was a complete switch. And then actually in between college, so my last year in high school, I was actually had a stress fracture in my L4 and L5. So I was out of sports for a whole year. Didn't know anything about health. Didn't know anything about personal training. I literally was just doing what I had been taught my whole life to do. And I came off of my stress, stress factor, and that's when I found Ninja Warrior. And so I decided to go into that. And so did your, your parents and everyone support you during this journey? Absolutely. So that's what I'm so, I'm so grateful for. It wasn't like a right away, like, yeah, it was like a, that's what you want to do. Right. Cause my, my parents would be like, yeah, you're <laughs> going to college. You're, you're not, that doesn't make you any money. You're not doing that. <laughs> Well, and that's where the college thing comes in. So I went three years into college. I was going to be a school teacher. And when I was 20, when I was 22, I was going into my fourth year. I literally got a week into my practicum year and I looked at my partner and I was up in the middle of the night, acne, all sorts of horrible things. Let's not include all the diet and stuff that was going on, but the stress it was occurring on my body. I told my parents, I, I can't do it anymore and I want to pivot to personal training, and I want to continue to train for the show. And that got a little resistance at first, and they understood that if I put my mind to something, it's really hard to change. So it's good to hop on board <laughs> and trust that I know what's best for me in that moment. And so what really came into flourishing is when I made that pivot, they gave me that space to say, okay, we're going to give you this time and effort to see what you're doing. And they really slowly started coming more and more. And I was really grateful for, for them. And, and my partner, he was like, yeah, if you want to quit, you want to do that? I'm behind you. Sure. We'll do it. And so financially, was that hard to just, cause uh, I, I know doing my own athletics that it's uh, working a full-time job and then going out and training and then, training 30, 30 hours a week to, to compete is, it's a lot to do plus work yeah. and afford it. Yeah. yeah it became, it became it, my whole life. And what happened is I was having to work full time and I was working full time in a gym at that point now. Oh, you were and, a trainer? Mm -hmm, because I, when I pivoted, I was going into training. I didn't do any of check at this point. I was just a NASM trainer. So you could imagine the style that I was training at, um, the foods that I was eating. And I was also trying to build the Ninja Warrior community in St. Louis at the same time. And one thing that's different about being a Ninja Warrior coach and when you're teaching kids is you're constantly lifting them and you're constantly helping them through it. And so you're pretty much getting a workout in an hour class when you're helping these kids 
go across monkey bars and yeah, they're only 50 pounds, but seven kids at 50 pounds for an hour class really starts to become very heavy. So that financial pivot was something that we really had to trust into because I was working full time as a waitress and going to school. And then I said, nope, I'm pivoting. Had no clients. had very little classes that we were starting out as. And I went down from, I think like $400 a week, which was a ton for me at that time to $80 a week. Wow. And said, this is what I want. And I got to trust the process and I'm going to make it work some way, somehow. And it did. (laughs) And it did. That's amazing. Yeah. So you did that for five years. You're 26. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then what happens? So that's a wonderful question. It happened when I was 24 is when I started to hit the gears. So I took check. I took check when I was 22, right when I made that pivot. So I made the pivot in August and I took check exercise coach in October. And it's funny because I just put my timeline out and I realized that that's actually what sparked a lot of my transitions and pushes because that following year I actually rose to the top my season eight was my best season my I beat Jesse Graff on a one-to-one race and she was the only female to beat stage one in Vegas and I got to the top and I realized nothing was there because I was continually searching for something outside of myself and what happened is that pivot started to turn because I realized I wasn't enjoying the sport to enjoy the sport. I was trying to enjoy the sport to feel, fill a need inside of myself where I was lacking love. And I thought if I got to the top in the sport and others approved of who I was as an athlete, that was going to make me feel better. And what happened is when I was 24 and I hit that plateau, is it rippled out to the rest of my world and the rest of my life. And I realized that it wasn't Ninja that was making me happy. And, and over those years, I made Ninja my job. Like it was my job. I was working 70, 80 hours a week. I was running classes. I was training myself. I was training other people. And I burnt myself out on it. I love the sport. I'm so grateful for the sport. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I burnt myself out. What do, what's burning yourself out feel like? Mm. Mm, Good question. Burning myself out felt like I no longer was following my heart in the sport, but I was starting to make moves of what I thought other people wanted me to do. Because I would get people who would send me messages about how my athletic abilities were inspiring to them to want to change their life. And so I started to change who I was and think that I had to continually pour more and more into the sport, even when my heart was no longer inside of it. Mm-hmm. And so I was following the voice in my head of continuing to push forward in the sport instead of saying, do I really want to be here right now? Or does my body physically hurt and I need a break and I need space from it? And I wasn't respecting that. And I just kept going and going and going. And that came out in all sorts of form. I had nerve pain going down my shoulders at one point. I had aches and pains throughout my entire body. By my season two or season three of Team Ninja Warrior, I couldn't bend two degrees backwards. I couldn't bend two degrees forward without being in excruciating pain. 
and burnt out was literally my body and my mind and my soul could not take it anymore where it was i hit my i hit my edge i feel like <clears throat> your so your story is a representation of this journey to self discovery journey to self realization the journey through the rite of passage and i do believe that not everyone goes through this rite of passage as it relates to athleticism but i do believe there's a lot of people that do and what's mm -hmm. what i what i enjoy about your story is it started so young for you mm. um, you know there there is it, it makes me perceive you to be a very mature soul we don't use uh, old soul young souls anymore we use more like mature soul as a mature soul because it sounds like your will and drive uh, to fulfill what you need was extremely strong at such a young age and and uh, and also the intuition and what you needed to do in order to fulfill it early on because you know you get you get people at 60 years old that say i want to start doing marathons and i'm like you want to do your rite of passage now like it's 60? we we could have done this so so my point is maybe it's not athleticism but maybe it's other things in life maybe it's work you know mm. maybe it's maybe it's the um the career of doing um, drugs or alcohol that people mm. need in order to ultimately what we're saying, good or bad, is it's about hitting rock bottom. Mm. So, <laughs> rock bottom, uh, and and you're right because as a at what as as my uh, process of self discovery when I was a triathlete was that waking up every day going, I'm never. I never, I don't know what it feels like to be whole. I don't, mm. I, I don't know what it feels like to have a body that doesn't hurt. That's not in pain. Mm. And I'm asked, and I ask my question, do you want to go out and run eight miles at five in the morning? No, mm. but I would still do it. And I would mm -hmm. still do it. And then you, uh, yeah. And it, and it's, and I don't know why it's really interesting because it's this intuitive voice that says, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. not, the sponsors <laughs> aren't that big. The money is mm. not that great. So it's mm. not about money. And ultimately, mm. I think if people realize it's not about the money, it's about something deeper. And if, mm. if what makes us up in the midst of who we are as a spirit and a soul is love, then can it always be about love then? In, mm. And are there aspects of the love? So... So you say in, in uh, 2017, I hit rock bottom. What does, what does that mean? Mm, that's beautiful. Cause I know rock bottom is different for, for everyone. Yeah. And for me, for me, my rock bottom was when the illusion of what I thought of myself completely dispersed everything, what I thought I desired to do in life what I thought of my marriage, what I thought of myself, what I thought of myself as an athlete. And so in 2017, and it was like this speed press up. And I think you summed it up perfect is you have this voice in your head that's telling you, do you really want to do this? No. And for some reason you keep pushing it away. And if you keep pushing it away, that's when the rock bottom starts occurring. And it starts, it, and it presses louder and louder and louder. And it presses in all these different areas until we're willing to look at it. And for me, because 
I had a little bit of a, a higher ego <laughs> at that time, which really helps in the competitive aspect. I pushed that voice away until about everything in my world was crumbled. And it started heavily in 2016 of October. And it got so loud by October 2017, my marriage was pretty much falling apart. I didn't know. I just got fired from a job through text. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was questioning everything about myself where it got to the point to where I was playing the victim card so hard that I wanted to blame my life on everyone else of where I was instead of look at myself in the mirror. What, wait, while you were ninja <laughs> queen? Yes. <laughs> yes. And no one knew what was going on behind the scenes. No one knew. Even, even when I was in CP1, when I saw you in, in August of 2017 was when that was in the middle of when shit started hitting the fan. And I was crying out so badly for people, for someone to save me. And I wasn't willing to look at the only person that could save me was me. And I even remember at that point, because I was, I was stepping out of my marriage at that point. And even in CP1 or IMS2 now, IMS2 is this person had sent me gifts and I didn't want gifts. And I remember you made a comment. You go, wow, you must have an amazing partner that he's sending you gifts and guilt and shame and judgment just kept coming more over me in my life decisions and what I was doing. And that's my rock bottom, my self-criticism. You're not enough. You're not worthy. Who do you think you are to do this? And not only that, I'm trying to train people how to be healthy at the same time. So yeah, it comes to a place of if, if people can, which I think ultimately part of being whole is, is truly the journey of being authentic. Mm. You are and asking yourself every day how authentic was I and mm. then truly having friends and family in your life that show you where you can become more authentic not show you that you're not you're not mm. authentic but how you can become more and so you talked about some you wanted someone to save you was there were there any anybody in your life that did try to save you and what did they what were they doing <laughs> good question just so we yeah. so can resonate with their own saviors because there are there's that archetype out there where there's there's the rescuers i'm familiar with the rescuers and i also am familiar <laughs> with what it feels like to be rescued and i'm like i am not the victim here i don't want to be rescued I am autonomous. I am my, I am woman. <laughs> so, you know, and I love that. Yeah. There's, there's enough of that in me to, that as I get older, it's beautiful to watch the archetypes of people and what it represents. And I think at the end of the day, it's like authenticity creates the awareness and mindfulness to discover which I archetype we're acting out of. Not that it's mm. good or bad or indifferent. It, it is what it is. It's the awareness of, yes, I am a prostitute today. And <laughs> am I okay with being a prostitute today? No. Yes. Maybe just today. No judgment. And, and embracing it. 
I enjoyed being the prostitute today. I choose not to be tomorrow. <laughs> not guilting and shaming and damnifying what mm. we are existing as. And, and rather than choosing the perspective of witnessing, this is what I chose to do today. It's okay. I embrace and love myself for it. Mm. Throw compassion and kindness at it. And, and that's how you move the fuck on. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the archetypes because during that process, there were so many different archetypes that I played in. Earlier, I was playing in the victim yeah. and I wanted someone to save me. But a few months prior, hands down, there were people playing the savior in my life. My partner was trying to play the savior of what are you doing with your life? Where are you going? Why are you making these choices? X, Y, and Z. And that's what I did. What did I do? Push further, dip further into the saboteur. Don't tell me how to live my life just because you said no. I'm going to go left. You said, right. I'm going to go left. I also did that with my mother, my mother. And deep down these people, like the people in my life only wanted what was best for me from their perception. And had I understood that I might've been able to listen with an open heart mm. and an open mind. And I was so afraid to tell someone of that judgment and guilt and shame that was occurring inside my mind and in my world, that if I was actually honest and authentic with what was going on, that the people who were trying to save me would actually still leave. And so when they were saving me, I still tried to push away from it because just like you, I didn't necessarily want someone to save me. I just didn't want to be where I was. And so the further they pushed, the further I pushed away. Mm -hmm. And by the time they were able to give me space, that's when October came and I played the victim. Well, where is everyone? <laughs> where is everyone? Why isn't everyone helping me with this? When it wasn't their responsibility. Their responsibility was just to support me from a distance and still love me, even though I was going through my own shit. So what causes, when you, when you, some of the things you talked about were aches and pains, confidence issues, lack mm. of self-love, people pleaser. Um, what do you think creates a person like that? Oh, I think our belief system. I think my perception is, is, I had this belief of who I thought I needed to be based off of what other people were telling me I needed to be. And so because I, I enjoy the study of infant development, I, in study, I enjoy the process of understanding where all of this dysfunction appropriately needed in a person's life to come through it. Mm -hmm where all this comes from. And, you know, it's, it's very interesting growing up in a dysfunctional family as always a gift. I don't know. Sometimes mm -hmm. people look at it as like, well, I'm, you know, I had such a bad life. You know, my childhood was the shits and my who <laughs> wasn't. Everyone's was, everyone's got some sort of something. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, if it was perfect, great. That's wonderful. But at the end of the day, if you, can, if you can trust that what happened in those formative years of programming, which is basically in utero to seven years of age, mm -hmm. you are that sponge of absorbing dysfunction 
and then grow up and act that out. And ultimately, if you don't get what you need from each parent, which doesn't mean that they weren't good parents. It, mean, it means they did the best they could. And that's, that's years of personal help on my, <laughs> on my own part, realizing that, um, that they did the best they could. And it was our job to then grow up and learn from that. They, they came into our life to teach mm. us this dysfunction so we could have an experience as mm. a soul to then play out and learn from that dysfunction to be better. So every challenge, every trauma, every demon, every, every guilt, shame, whatever it is, is an opportunity for uh, growth within us. And so when you say you, you kind of learned that, would you say that it came from your childhood? Or no. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Like, it, that's, that's what I had to dive back into to see where these beliefs of other people that they passed on to me, where it came from, and then to bring it back up and say, is this true for me now? Going back and looking at those, that's when I realized that's where abandonment issues came in, which is why I created codependency. That's where... I was really looking for outside approval to get attention. And all of those stemmed from that. And then they only got built on top of that foundation as the years went on and on and on. And I, and I still believed in those belief systems up until I hit my rock bottom and said, okay, well, something's not working. What's not working? And ever since I started going back into my childhood and it still comes up today. I even realized if, you know, I think we all have these waves that we go in. Like, I, I think there's this perception that once you've hit your rock bottom that you still don't have falling outs from time to time. Hell no, I still will have falling outs from time to time and I'll see where judgment, shame, guilt, abandonment, codependency will want to come up. I just can identify it easier because I've learned the pattern and even now I came up with something last week is when I have a tendency to slowly start spiraling out in my life, I will go someone who is a completely against what I am really aligned with in my life. And what I mean by that is I noticed in my childhood, there was this adult who made me feel loved and the type of lifestyle they lived was completely different from where I am now. They are heavy. They were a cigarette smoker. They would go out and party. They would X, Y, and Z. And I noticed when I'm looking for love, what type of atmosphere was I putting myself in? And I just clicked that last week. And that was something that was all the way back from my childhood because it was an adult that made me feel loved. And I was looking for the same love. And so I would try to recreate it in my reality now instead of saying, you know what, Kirsty? Yeah, you are lacking love right here. But you know what? There's so many ways that you can show yourself love. Maybe that's walking in nature. Maybe that's giving yourself some good food. Maybe that's meditating. Maybe that's getting yourself a massage. How do you really want to be loved now? Because that's not, you know, that doesn't feel good when you go and make those choices. So long story, 100%. It all comes down to my childhood. And I love my parents, just like you said. My parents were amazing. 
I know that something can be as simple as I just wanted my mom's attention. And at that point in time, she might've been working and just simply couldn't have given it to me. So I want to be very clear. I'm very grateful and love my parents and understand that they did the best job that they knew how. Did you have, or did it help you in your process of discovering who you are and what you needed in life? Did it help you to talk to your parents about any of those issues? Mm, you know, <laughs> that's a good question. And being 100% honest with it, there's still some things that I don't feel comfortable bringing up to my parents in bringing the past up because sometimes I realize that it's just my story that I threw onto a perception, like a story that I threw on and I keep fueling fire to something that may not be reality. And I also respect that I chose to go in the field of personal development and self-help and not everyone always wants to go that deep or bring back up those wounds. And so some of the topics I have brought up and some of the topics I just really feel into and say, you know what, I may be ready for this conversation. And based off of what I'm feeling and how I'm tiptoeing, yes, this is my perception. And yes, this is making me an, making an assumption, which is not my right to make their choice. And if I feel they're getting triggered by something that's maybe not at this level, I don't think it's time to bring this up. And I also don't think that I have to hold on to it and grudge it. I still believe that I can forgive this story that I'm playing in my head. And if eventually it is to be talked about in this worldly realm with them, wonderful. And if not, I can still forgive them for that story that I have played out of my head and love them anyway. That's very high level compassion, super high level. Like that's, <laughs> and, and I, I love what you said about when you mentioned the word story, because it's exactly what it is. And it's, it's your story. And, mm -hmm. uh, the first, I, I think that one of the key words that you used was forgiveness. I always say, you know, rewrite the story, but it is about forgiveness, isn't it? it it's, mm. it's that is like a major prerequisite to moving forward and so many different areas and arenas of life. And I do think that it's, it's always starts with the I and then mm. it moves into the aspect of we. And I just, it's funny because as I was preparing for this podcast, I came across a um, really interesting quote by Rudolf Steiner that says, a healthy emotional life will never be possible unless individuals engage in a conscious, pra conscious practice of personal, de personal development, strengthening their constitution through the action of one's eyes. Mm. Yeah, I thought that was so powerful and so very true. Now, I get, I mean, if you're Rudolf Steiner, you can say <laughs> never. I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not that big in this world to say never. I, I choose not to use absolutes because I've seen miracles in my lifetime. Mm. Um, but I do think that is so very true with the amount of cases and dysfunction that I've experienced with my own coaching and, and people as it relates to where they get hang up 
hung up or stuck in their in their development and reaching wholeness wholeness mm-hmm. do you do you think um with because it sounds like you got married young like myself yeah so <laughs> i met him when i was 15 to put that in perspective okay yeah yeah i was 15 he was 17 yeah <laughs> so at 15 you're looking for love mm-hmm. and so, based off of my broken belief systems <laughs> and, and you know and and i i sorry I tell my daughter who's 14 out, like 30, you may have reached your Inus. Like that's when you can start looking for a relationship, my friend. Uh, before then, you're still trying to figure out who you are, what you are, what your needs are, how mm. to love. And uh, uh, so tell me, you, you, ha- you have a relationship, you end up getting married. Uh, was there a codependence and what led mm. to infidelity? Mm, 100% codependent. 100% codependent. I I don't even know. I don't think codependent was in my vocabulary. I don't think I ever heard of it. I don't think I ever knew what it was. And how did it play out in that relationship? Since I, I, my image of you is the strong one, is the, the male, <laughs> the yang. <laughs> so how did that play out in your relationship? Good question. It went, it went back and forth, constant, constant feeling like constantly needing to communicate with each other, constantly being in each other's space, constantly doing everything together. We need to have all the same interests. We need to even like all the same, same songs. And when we don't like the same songs, I'm going to secretly judge you from the passenger seat saying, how do you like this song? I don't like this song. And you need to like all the things that I like. And why is this not happening? <laughs> and... <laughs> And it went both ways. It definitely, it definitely went both ways. And it just got heavier and heavier. And I felt more trapped and trapped and trapped. And I grew up in a religious background and nothing, nothing wrong with religious backgrounds. Um, Mine was the dogma of religion. And that played heavily in how I perceived relationships to be. He grew up in the dogma of religion, which that also played an effect on how he perceived relationships to be. And then that also never gave me space to really dive into what do I want in a relationship or do I want to just be with a man? And I didn't even understand. I, I went back and this is something where it was on my belief systems. I remember questioning my sexuality when I was six. And I put that thing and buried it deep down. And it just kept coming up and coming up and tapping on my shoulder and tapping on my shoulder that, hey, you may not just be heterosexual. You may have an attraction to both sexes. And what ended up happening is we're codependent. We're thinking we're living the American life. We just bought a house. We got the white picket fence. We got stable quote unquote jobs. We're doing everything that we're told that we're supposed to do. And I'm supposed to feel alive right now. And I feel dead inside. And we were a year. I don't even think we made it a year (laughs) in our marriage before that happened. And I, yeah, let's see. We got married in 2015. No, I lied. It was, it was a year in because it happened in 2017. So we got married in 2015. I was 21 when we got married and in 2017, that's when we bought a house, all those amazing things. 
once again, thinking materialistic things were going to make me happy. And then this person came along and knew the correct things to say to make me feel alive. And it was kind of like I never thought that I would be the person to step outside of my marriage ever, ever. I never thought, I always thought somehow I was above that temptation or X, Y, and Z. And it was like my line just kept moving and kept moving and it kept moving. And all of a sudden like, oh, well, that's not, that's not cheating. Well, that's not cheating. Well, that's not cheating. Well, that's not cheating. Oh, okay. No, you can't, you can't explain that one. That's, that's past the line. And so this person made me feel alive, but once again, was not, was not a good fit for me. And so what oh, ended up- How did you discover that? Uh, <laughs> lifestyle factors, their, their, their desired day was to hang in a bar and smoke cigarettes. So, but how long after you entertained the idea of the relationship did you discover that we don't align? Oh, that took April till October. That took till October 31st when I hit my bottom and I said, and I just cut this person off completely and I cut them off and I just said, I can't do it. And my partner knew, like he blamed, like I wasn't, I wasn't really secret about it. Like I was, but I wasn't like, it was blatantly obvious, but because we were so codependent and afraid that we were going to lose something that we already lost, that technically wasn't even really built on a firm foundation because we were codependent. And when we weren't taught how to have a conscious, healthy, communicative relationship and say our needs, it, it was this like jumbled, entangled mess occurring. And it's like, it got worse and worse. And we avoided the conversation more and more. And I came out to him during that time by saying, okay, I realized that I, I, I am attracted to women and I'm attracted to men. And then you try to do those loopholes like, well, women don't count as a relationship if you're a woman with a woman. And I tried to play all these loopholes to make it okay. Because when we got married, we got married under the agreement that we both wanted a monogamous relationship. At that point in time, I didn't even know there was anything different than a monogamous relationship. And what was beautiful about this experience, even though it was definitely, definitely a tornado in both of our lives, is one, I got to understand myself even more and come to terms with, you know what? I do have an attraction towards men and I do have an attraction towards women. And I don't have to explain myself to anyone to defend myself of what I desire in life. And what was beautiful then on top of that is when this occurred in October, we both agreed we're going to take space. We're not, we're not, we're not divorcing. We're not dating anyone else. We're going to focus on us as individuals because we have been too much in this pod of Michael and Kirsty as one. We are one. And we do one thing together. And we took this space to do this work individually to figure out what is it that we want in life. And we said that we would come back together and have a conversation and then pivot from there. And this whole 
whole experience allowed me to become a better communicator, learn how to set boundaries, learn how to heal a broken relationship and decide if it's still in alignment with me in moving forward, not selling myself short or him selling himself short to still come to this relationship and what it means to come to a relationship wholly. And it's not that codependent doesn't want to come in still. We just are very aware when the habits are coming in and we will even say, hey, you know what? I think it's best if we just take some space. You take some space for you. I'll take some space for me. And we're going we're gonna to go take care of ourselves right now because we're becoming codependent. <laughs> okay. Whoa, back <laughs> like 10 years of, of work. So, so taking space, <laughs> first of all, that that's amazing. Okay. So taking space, taking space mean you moved to separate houses and you did your own therapy. Like he, he took responsibility and did his own therapy for himself. Good question. I moved to the upstairs of the house and he stayed on the main floor of the house. He was actually the first person to go to therapy. He went to therapy in October and it took me another two months uh, before I decided to do therapy or any work whatsoever. So he was very, 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 very patient. Wow. With me. Okay. Um, and then how long... <laughs> Um, what were, let me ask you this, the means of therapy, was mm -hmm. this also book reading and mm. all, all these other personal self-help things that you did? And how long did you do that before, before you came together and said, we can do all these things now, mm. a new relationship? Mm. I, so the, the, my therapy was started in January of 2018 on 2017. I've never been big for new year's resolutions. I always thought they were like, eh, but I wrote a new year's resolution and said, I'm done. I know I make myself happy and I'm done playing the victim and I'm going to step up to the plate and I'm going to be in control of my happiness. So January, 2018, my Yang went to work. <laughs> I started reading books. I started reading the first book I w read was like, you are a badass. And then it went from there. I went to therapy. I started taking uh, holistic lifestyle coach level one. I started cleaning up my diet. I started getting sleep. I started moving. I started working on breath work. I started drinking water. And in the past, I had this tendency when I took the check classes, which I think a lot of us checkies do. We want to come home and we want to share it with our families. And so we're like, oh, you need to do this. And I did that to him in the past. And I just said, you know, no, no, you're responsible for you. And so book of presence and working with energy systems, I did therapy. I saw, um, and then I went to HLC two, and this was from January, 2018 to April, 2018. HLC two changed my life, changed my life. And he came out and he came out in April of 2018 and I was actually staying with another Czechie who was a man and we were staying in the same, same, same facility. So we just went through an affair and then now a couple months later, he needs to trust me being in the same house with another man where nothing's going to happen. And what was beautiful is when, when Michael came out and joined me out there, he met Paul, which he's never seen Paul. He's like, whoa. 
that energy is a lot. And I was like, yeah, now you see it. And he met the other checkies and got the feel of just taking care of yourself. And what was beautiful is my partner at that time was 240 pounds. And he, when, when he came out there, we decided, you know what, we want this. We know we got a lot of work. <laughs> we got a lot of work. 240 pounds of muscle. Mm -mm. So 240 pounds, his face was swollen. His body was swollen, totally a milk beer belly going on. And what ended up happening is from 2018, April, 2018, we decided we want this. And then we dove in harder to our self-work. I went to Reiki. I got, I saw a Reiki practitioner myself, a life coach. I became Reiki certified as a Reiki master. I went to a Nine Gates Mystery School to understand the energy systems and the chakras and the belief systems that go with it. He started seeing, um, he got some Asui Reiki. He started then implementing the things that I would speak about. And he started watching me live my life in the holistic realm and the taking care of myself realm and the journaling and the reading books. And I saw, I mean, I've taken countless courses and I don't think knowledge does anything. I think applying the knowledge does something. And so I think all these things are great, but if I didn't apply it, it wasn't doing anything, which was a good example in my spiraling out. I had the knowledge and I wasn't applying it. And so from 2018, April, he lost, he went from 240 to 170 pounds back to muscle and yeah, and it was different. And it's funny because we chuckle about it now because we look at it and I go, holy shit, I didn't even see that. I didn't see any of it. I was so blind to it. He goes, babe, I didn't see it either. What? Yeah. Healthy. Yeah. Yes. And so he, yeah. <laughs> huh? He's a little guy now. <laughs> he is. And, uh, and, and we've been implementing since 2018 to now, and I'm still all about self-work. I'm still about not guilting myself and there's still areas that I can heal. And when 2018 happened, we decided we wanted to be together. And I told him that it was something I shamed for a long time that I need to make sure that I have the freedom that I can see another partner if I want to see another partner. And I think that that's somewhere in just making sure that I know that I can leave and get up any moment that I can. And I think some of that comes to my belief system when I was a younger child of once you're married, you're married for life. And I believe that some relationships last a couple years and I believe some last a lifetime. And I don't think, I think the ones that are successful is the ones that you, that you're in for the amount of time that it's, that you're in. It doesn't matter to me if I'm with someone for 50 years, if it was miserable for 40 why does that matter? So what I'm, what I'm hearing first, there's a couple of amazing things that I have to bring out that you said, like, I can't even remember all of them. First of all, I, first of all, I love the amount of growth, implementation, experience, success that you had. I mean, that right there with a resonate. I love that. Now that not everybody can do that. And, and that's cool that keeps us health coaches in business. But I love, like your story is special only because you could and did do that. You're, you're proof that when you put the work in and you actually do it and you stay committed to it, 
and you focus on self first, mm. success rises up. Mm. Um, one of the other things that you, you said way before, and, I, and I, I use this phrase because I think it's so important to people that are listening in general. You can justify any desire you have in life. Mm. Mm-hmm. I don't care what it is. I've mm-hmm. listened to myself do it over and over. <laughs> justify, justify. Anything, even when I know in my heart of hearts it's not good for me to do it, I will justify. Mm-hmm. And how you know that, people, is when you verbally hear yourself doing it to your partner. And he's like, why, why, why do you keep telling me this? If you want to go do that, then fine. And I'm like, oh, oh. Oh, I must, I must know deep down that I should not be doing this because that's not my, my personality isn't to talk a lot. And when I find myself talking a lot about something that I want, it's me not feeling worthy or not, or feeling like Mm. I have to justify what I want in life. That's so sad. (laughs) Um, uh, secondly, another huge point that obviously it's in my it's in my psychoanalysis of relationships as I love, I love working with relationships and I love seeing people in relationships and growing my knowledge with that. But you are so accurate in the fact that if someone doesn't feel that they are free, Hmm. the feeling, not you're free, someone say you free, but allows you to feel free and supported, then do you feel stuck and do you feel miserable and do you feel like you cannot do what you really want and need to do? And do you think your life would have been different if you hadn't gotten married so early? I do, but I also wouldn't change it. Okay. I wouldn't change it at all. I think, I think what would have happened, I think, I think me and him, we, we probably would have split because a reason why he stayed with me during that time was because we were married and due to his deep-seated beliefs, you work through everything. And so that's what made him stay during the affair. And when we took our space, he realized he didn't have to have that belief. And if we were only dating at that time, I believe we would have split. I believe I would have dated someone else and I would have recreated the same thing over through a codependent relationship, create the same spiraling effect until something threw a wrench in there for me to wake up. And so hence there is that consummate person that says, I had the same relationship. I run into the same problem. And mm-hmm. it is, okay, when are you going to look at yourself mm-hmm. and change what it is that you believe about yourself in relationships? Uh, at the same time, uh, I do believe that as it relates to athletes that are doing ultra, and I, and I could say this because I was one, <laughs> they're doing Ultraman and, and they are running after something and mm-hmm. so much easier as I can attest to physically abuse yourself than deal with the mental emotional pain that is residing inside of yourself. Mm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, you live. Yeah. There, yeah. Right? Uh, like spot on. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and, and so would you, did your, 
because I, you know, I have that saying, like, it's kind of lonely at the top. Oh, fuck yeah. Do you, do, during your transformation and the evolution of your relationship, did your friends change mm-hmm. as a result? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, and codependency was in my friendships. Codependency was in my friendships is, is the way that I look at it is we have a relationship with everything. It just depends whether it's romantical friendship, intimate, how, how are we, how are we doing this? Everything's a relationship and my friends, I was codependent on my friends. I had some of my friends, I was being very manipulative and I had them covering for me so I could go do what I wanted to do. And so for me, once again, in order for those friendships to heal themselves, I needed to take space away. And so some of them I still talk with occasionally. Some of them, it was just our time to pivot and turn. And I've accepted that they were those people who were there for me during that time and they were there for me the best they could. And I also had to do a lot of forgiveness in the person that I was in those friendships and who I showed up as in those friendships. And, and I had to work around a lot about, about those, but my friends pivoted a lot um, in, in that scenario. And so, um, yeah. Because you're, because you're, you have the lifestyle that you have, which is, let me just go out and say it can be can be perceived as a little rigid, uh, not a not a nice <laughs> word, but it's what I've been called. <laughs> <laughs> the, my victimness. Um, do do you have more friends or less friends now with your less? New- <laughs> <laughs> less, but you know what? I I enjoy it. I the question is is do you need a lot of friends now? No. And, and, you know, I'm glad that you brought up this question because when I reflect my, my transition, when I first started my ninja and all these people I wanted to be friends with, I mean, I had tons and tons and tons of people that I would have put the label on as my friends, but how many of these people actually knew me or how many of these people did I actually let into my life mm. to see me for me when that's what a real friend is? compared to now, that's something that I've actually been dealing with is I realize one, I really like when I have my own space. I realized I go hard extrovert. I go hard introvert. I can go out for two days and be, Hey, Hey, Hey. And then I want to be alone for two days. And so the friends that I have now are very slim. And I believe that our inner circle should always be slim. I think especially the more that I've stepped into this holistic lifestyle, you just live a different way. And there's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes it's hard to connect with people who live a holistic lifestyle if you're not living one. And not that it's bad or one's good. It's just sometimes those connections can be challenging. Not everyone likes to go spend time in nature you know, and I love to go spend time in nature. And so my friend group has definitely gone down less and I'm totally okay with that because I also know that I can show up to be more present for the ones that are in my inner circle. Mm, Beautiful. Wonderful. Uh, So 
what's challenging about your holistic life presently? <laughs> oh, good question. I think the thing that's challenging, and this has actually been a story that I've been playing through and letting go of, is I live, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and we're, we're a little bit more, I wouldn't necessarily say the conservative side, we're a little bit more behind on the times of being progressive and what it means of what's in our food, what's in our water. And so the challenge is that that come up to me now is we don't have a lot of organic restaurants. We don't have a lot of places that I can go out to that have clean food, that have clean water. I also am, am it's kind of like that saying that I think Paul says, and Jator reminded me on, and I love it, it's, you know, the two shoe salesmen go to Africa. Mm. And one, one shoe salesman calls back to his manager and says, hey, book me a ticket. No one wears shoes here. And the other one says, hey, send me on the shoes. No one wears shoes here. <laughs> and I think, <laughs> yeah. And so what's just challenging is, is it's a little bit, sometimes I feel like paving the way in St. Louis in the Midwest area for the holistic. And you get a lot of resistance and you get a lot of kickback. And I get a lot of people who are like, what chemicals in our food? No, that's not bad for you. Glycosophate? No, that's not doing anything to you. Yeah, I have. And so I just try to love that. You know, milk? No, milk totally gives you calcium, you know, or GMOs? No, those are totally great for you. And the challenging thing is continuing to know what is my truth because I have seen it. I have experienced it for myself because I used to be someone who ate GMO foods. I used to be someone going to bars. I used to be someone eating fast food. I used to be someone just eating box foods. And I've seen my transition slowly to know what my truth is. And so my challenge is, is not necessarily convincing people, but just letting people know, hey, I have these tools if and when you're ready. And if you want to learn, I promise I will show you. And I'm not going to force my beliefs on you. I'm not going to force my lifestyle on you but I promise you it helps build a foundation for you to do the inner work to make you feel whole, to make you feel confident, to make you feel worthiness. And so when I get the resistance, I just sit there and I say, that's okay. They're not ready yet. I had to get the tap too. And I had to get the tap for a long time. 100%. And you reminded me uh, about what I was going to say before that because you have a lot of relationships, especially in, in the holistic world with Czech practitioners who they get involved in this and they're in relationships with people who are like, what the, what the hell is this? This whole Czech yeah. I know I experienced it myself. When you say that HLC2 was life-changing for you, my friend, I got divorced. I love business. <laughs> like everything happened after. <laughs> yes. Every, every class is life changing. And that was, it was a no brainer. It was an intuitive move because I knew what I wanted to become at that point. And, Mm. but in relationships, because I do find that there's this antagonistic um, application that applies to every relationship. There's the yin and the yang, there's the extrovert, Mm -hmm. there's the introvert, there's the 
the the the aspect of belief systems uh, from different cultures that come in and and then clash there's so many dichotomies that happen in relationships that bring them together but then also <laughs> apart which is fascinating and i think that is so important to happen in order to engage us in reaching a new level of love mm. and so i say to people when they tell me their story about, well, you know, he doesn't eat right. Da, 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 and I'm like, girl, I live it full time. I know exactly. And how I was able to move through that was the day I stopped saying, you should do this. You should do this. Mm. You, should do this. you should exercise. You should do it. And mm -hmm. I just said, I'm just going to love this person for who they are. Because when I think about what brought me to them, Mm. The it wasn't their looks, it wasn't the money, it wasn't the job, mm. it wasn't their hair, their no hair. It was the heart and the soul of what they mm. represent. And so when I when I go back to that basic togetherness and figure out what of this 17 year total dynamic relationship has created. It was the day I decided to love myself and love him for he, who he was mm. and be the change. So your relationship is exactly the example of that. Like you just said to me, I just did all this stuff and I created the change and I didn't tell him what he should have done, which you're still together, right? So for people out there that, and, and everyone that's listening that has relationship challenges, man, if you can get your plate, if you can get your, your level of love to the point where you focus on yourself and you focus on yourself and everything that it relates to the challenges that you're having and you stop pointing the finger at the other one mm. and trying to make them change, mm. every, everything changes. Life changing, life, life change, literally life changing, and that's in all all of my relationships. Life, life changing when I decided to take responsibility for my own life. <laughs> you know, and and I will say though, even though my partner is not at all into what I do, he is my one of my greatest teachers and has such mm. an intuition and teaches me like things when I complain about a sibling or a family member, even though I know it, he reminds me, there's no point in saying anything because you're not going to change them. And I thought, but, but maybe if I create awareness and he's like, yeah, but at the end of the day, is that trying to create change? And I'm mm. like, who's coaching who now? Like, <laughs> brilliantness and you know I, I like I have bookshelves of self-help book never even read one of them but tells me what's in these books I need to hear again like how wonderful yep. was that yep and it'll come out of left field and I just want to say you know one thing that you said that reminded me is loving the people for who they are I had I realized people in my life felt like they were being judged by me and in my presence and when I started to realize that and I started to realize it was a pattern, I was like, it's not the other people, Kirsty. It's, it's something that you're bringing to the table. 
And when I learn to still love people, even though that they may not desire to live the holistic life or a similar path as me, back to that self-love. I just wanted to put that on there because it, it was everything. And I realized others were feeling judged in my life. And then when I realized, oh, I can still love them for exactly who they are, that's what real love is. And I only could do that because I loved myself. 100%. (laughs) And if you find it challenging that you can't, then you got to go back to the self-love part again. Go back to square one. Man. What I mean, I knew we were going to have such fun. I I knew that we were going to talk about some really, uh, uh, I think these are processes and realizations. I know that they happened to you and this is your experience, but I think in all reality, they happen to everyone. And, And there's, there's just a different twist of a story that it includes their version um, your, your story resonates so much with my own story. So that's why I also like enjoying hearing it. Um, who doesn't like to hear about themselves? So, uh, exactly. Yeah. So great. So we're going to, um, we're going to tie this up and I know listeners, you're like, man, she's really going over her normal time. Yeah. I, I normally don't go this long, but if there's a really good, um, person to talk to and there's a lot of lessons to learn, I will definitely always go over. And we're going to finish with something that I learned um, about, which is about having fun, which I don't know about you, Kirsty, but I'm one of those people that was raised. Fun was not something that you were supposed to have. If you were having fun, you got yelled at, or you got hit. So part of part of my journey is everything that I do, I try to have fun with it. Like I try to mm. play with it. And, you know, I just was on vacation. I had, I had texted you going on vacation about to play hard. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's my motto. Like play as hard as you can and then rest as much as you can, <laughs> which is usually what I need a lot of rest. <laughs> we, it's funny because when you, Outside looking at it, the dynamic our family is when we come back from vacation, everyone goes to their room. <laughs> because everyone disperses. We've been together all week, like in a two small, you know, rooms uh, in a resort. And when we finally get out of the car and we finally get home, we're like, we don't want to see each other for at least four or five hours. It's so funny. I love it. Okay, so these are shotgun questions. These are fun questions. Um, Ooh, first thing, pressure's on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want you to feel really pressured right now. I want you to feel really nervous because <laughs> that's my aim here. Okay, number one, what's your personal metaphysical take on this COVID nineteen right now? Mm. <laughs> my personal metaphysical. What does metaphysical mean? Meaning it is like you're an outside viewpoint that, mm. that involves the mental, emotional, spiritual aspect of what's really, what's really going on, but it's not really going on. I think what's really going on is people are being asked to wake up to their lifestyle habits and being forced to look at, I mean, we're, we're a sick country as it is. We're a sick globe as it is. And I think this is a beautiful opportunity to look at our patterns. And this is just a virus that's like shining the light on how unhealthy we are. And if you just change your lifestyle factors, 
You're good. What? You're wait, good. You don't mean just wear a mask? No, I, I don't. I don't just mean wear a mask. And I think, I honestly think I get more for those who are listening. I do definitely dive into the spiritual realm. I, I tried to live without it for a long time. And then I was like, oh, energy is everything. So that's kind of hard to deny. And I, I believe those that are getting COVID to the degree in which they're getting it, I think some are getting it because those are the ones that are really being asked to change. And those are the ones that are being really asked to step up. And I think what's beautiful about it is those that who are getting it, that's the tap on your shoulder. Are you ready to play the game because the ref blew the whistle or are you going to tap out? Mm. And so, um, that's, that's my, my still, my heart still goes out to everyone because I know that those choices aren't easy. But my, my thing is, is I follow a lot of Matt Khan. I think it's the ascension process happening. And I think it's a beautiful time to wake up and bring in a lot of love and bring in a lot of self-care. Amen. And I'm not, I'm not against masks. I wear my mask. (laughs) I do have to joke about it a little bit. Yes. Very funny. But outside running with a mask on. (laughs) So next question. What is your go-to sweet treat? Oh, that's a good one. I really love an acai bowl. I love a really good acai bowl. Mm. When I'm feeling my emotional needs not met, I will go find me some gluten-free cereal in a heartbeat. (laughs) Um, Yeah. yeah. Favorite book? Oh, that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Oh, can I? The first one that wants to come to mind is this one's for you ladies. It's called Orgasms Unleashed. It's um, a really good one. It's talking about bringing back to, I mean, men, you, you can get it too, but it's, it's really bringing love back to your body and bringing um, senses and the touch and just falling in love with your legs, falling in love with your arms and it also will teach you how to have really deep orgasms but also see life as an orgasm are you reading a book and that's a a mental orgasm are you eating a food and that's a really big physical orgasm because orgasm equals pleasure and what that did is that made me look at life in a whole new world of pleasure Mm. yeah it makes me think of when i eat mashed potatoes i i I told i told the the um the testing when I got my, when I got tested for it, she's like, Oh, you are sensitive to potatoes. I said, I am orgasmic when I eat potatoes. <laughs> yes. Did you say that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, that reminds me now to go back. So you, you speaking of orgasm, orgasms, mm-hmm. now we're talking about, you know, <laughs> and I think of sex and I think of all mm-hmm. kinds of lovely things. Mm-hmm. Did you, do you confirm that, that heterosexual is the way that you choose to go? And did you decide not to, that females were not your choice? Is that something you down that journey of discovery? Yeah. So I've actually had a few female partners. Um, I consider myself, if I'm going to put a label on it, because I think sexuality is very fluid. Um, if I put a label on it, it's bisexual and we have an open marriage. Um, but it's not one of like, Hey, I'm just going to go around and sleep with a bunch of people. And that's totally cool. If that's your marriage, that's, if that's your agreement, that is totally amazing. But for me, I have allowed myself to, um, 
I guess, give myself that label of bisexuality. And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I realized <laughs> when you said that, that I hadn't really, I wasn't, I didn't finish that conversation. And so, so you consider your marriage open. Mm-hmm. We like to call it a consensual non-monogamous relationship because there's so many labels that people can put on things. And so consensual non-monogamous to us is if one of us decides that we would like to pursue a relationship with another person, we're going to be 100% honest and open about talking about that and having that communication there and trusting that that other person has standards that that's going to meet with everyone. And if it's not, then you know what? You deal with it. That's wonderful. Good for you. Super, super mature. Um, favorite movie? Oh, oh, probably Bridesmaids. It's funny. Mm. It's really freaking funny. <laughs> One thing you hold on from your childhood? Oh, in a positive way or negative way? <laughs> Either. Whatever one you feel like you'd like to share. Mm. That's a good question. Something that I hold on to from my childhood. Wow, nothing is literally coming to me at this point in time. It's like block, block. I I honestly want to say just probably the we all we had a pool. We had a pool growing up and so that was always our jam and when we were at the pool, we were at the pool as a family and just having fun and playing. And there was this one home video of me and my sister running and jumping going, we're dolphins <laughs> and jumping into the water. And it was just playing and having the time of our lives. And so probably that then. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, one thing most people don't realize about you. Mm. I'm actually very, very sensitive. I think a lot of people put, because I do have a lot of yang. Yeah. um, But I am definitely, when I allow my emotions to flow, I'm very in my emotions and very sensitive and very resonate with people when they tell me stories or like, I can't watch an animal documentary. I cry. I know it's the way of life, but yeah. (laughs) I love it. So you talk about <clears throat> one of your loves and one of, one of your uh, avenues of creating wholeness for you is being in nature. So mm. other than creating wholeness, what does nature do for you? Oh, it calms me. It reminds me of the cycles of life and accepting it is mm. nature nature always has its cycles. And I think that's what's beautiful about St. Louis. We get all four seasons. Mm. And each season is so beautiful. And this last year, I really took it upon myself to go outside in the winter. And I really got to feel with the cold. And what is it like when it's when things are dead? And then what is it like when spring is coming out? And so it reminds it reminds me of the cycles and always being present. I think there was this quote I read the other day, like nature is never in a rush and always gets everything done. You know, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I, I I love that. I I love that, and it reminds me of um, how I know when I'm getting it out of touch and in touch. And several years ago, um, my partner brought it to my awareness. I didn't even realize I do it, but I tend to when I walk outside, I go, it "Smells like Halloween." 
It smells like fire. It smells like smells like Smoky Mountain fire, or like oh, I love that. It smells like winter's coming. It smells like it's gonna rain. It smells like a hurricane. <laughs> and I just, it's just the first thing I do is I walk out there. It smells like there's a cat near. There's a cat near here. <laughs> and he's like, do you know that you always do that? You walk outside and like you smell like you just like. It smells like. A dog just took a shit next to me. <laughs> Whatever it is. It smells like pumpkins. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's... that's I like that. What I do. <laughs> um, favorite part of your body? Oh, my yoni. Oh, nice. What does enlightenment mean to you? Oh, enlightenment means to me it's not necessarily a state but it's these opportunities to be always in our, like these opportunities to be in our higher selves as much as we can. And for those, I I presume a lot of people listening have, have heard of higher self. And if you haven't higher self to me is your most authentic, loving truth that you are feeding into the world. And so enlightenment is when you are in that state and that's not always something that you're in 100% of the time. It's not like a goal in my world that you get to longer and a little longer. Oh, okay. That's where I lost, I lost you. Uh-huh. I was like, I you went out and you went in. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I, that's a great. Ironic. Cause that's what I was trying to d- explain. <laughs> nothingness. It's the state of nothingness. She was talking, but then we didn't hear her. So that was your experience of enlightenment. <laughs> Just blank. Okay, so uh, we, we've talked a lot about your journey. We talked mm-hmm. about your your challenges and your obstacles and how you moved through them. And I know you you took you had therapy and you did books. What before before we take off and you give some information about where people can contact you. What were, what would you suggest if someone was going through the same type, Mm. not exact, but something like what you're experiencing, what book therapy court, what would you suggest would be the, Mm. a minor first step for them or something that they might dive into to help them? Mm. The fifth agreement is a really good book. So and that was, that was probably going to be my other one. That one was a life-changing book for me. Uh, the fifth agreement really is amazing. I would, this is an advertisement or anything. I highly would recommend finding someone who is a holistic Czech practitioner because when you're able to change your chemical hormonal balance on the inside or even just following them, on social media is because people give a lot of free content for you to incorporate your sleep and your food and your water. That really, really helps change your inside and you're, you're nurturing your body to physically feel better so you have the energy to put with your mind and work through those mental blockages. Mm. Um, where those, those, those two things were hands down the foundation that I used. And be gentle with yourself. Honestly, love yourself. I had times when I would go and look at myself in the mirror and try to compliment myself and tears would be running down my face and it was still worth it. So be gentle with yourself. And even if you show yourself only love once a day, tell yourself you love yourself. There's only one you. There's never going to be another one of you. 
you're, you're unique and amazing in your way, even if you can't see it or feel it right now. And I promise you that. Amen. Amen. Okay. Where, <laughs> Percy, can people um, find you, find content about you, mm-hmm. uh, s- see more stuff? Mm, thank you for that. Um, if you guys would like to find more information, I make some YouTube videos at uh, YouTube Cursed Pratt, which is K-I-R-S-T-I-P-R-A-T-T. I just try to share on there things that come to me. Sometimes I talk about shame, guilt, letting go, sometimes these holistic principles. I also have my podcast, which is the Kirsty Pratt podcast. I talk about things like this with other experts. You can also find me on Instagram at holistic.coach.kirsty. And then you can also find me on my website, which is kirstypratt.com. So thank you for that. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank and- you for coming on and, and being so open and vulnerable mm-hmm. and authentic. We need more people like you. Mm, thank okay. you. And don't be hesitant to reach out, guys. Honestly, DM me. I'd be more than happy to uh, talk with you guys. And I'm grateful for anyone who still listen. Great. Thanks, you, Kirsty, for being with us today. And thank everyone for listening. Uh, appreciate your time. We will um, we'll be back next time. See you later.